Welcome to Line A, Describe Personal Safety Practices. The Trades Access Common Core resources are licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0. The materials in these learning guides are for use by students and instructional staff and have been compiled from sources believed to be reliable and to represent best current knowledge on these subjects. These audio resources are intended to serve as a starting point for good practices and may not specify all minimum legal standards. No warranty, guarantee, or representation is made by the BC Piping Trades Articulation Committee, the British Columbia Industry Training Authority, BC Campus, or the Queen's Printer of British Columbia as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information contained in these publications. These audio resources are intended to provide basic guidelines for piping trades practices. Do not assume, therefore, that all necessary warnings and safety precautionary measures are contained in this publication and that other or additional measures may not be required. To learn more about BC Campus Open Education, visit www.open.bccampus.ca. Be advised that references to the Workers' Compensation Board of British Columbia safety regulations contained within these materials do not, may not, reflect the most recent occupational health and safety regulation. The current standards and regulation in BC can be obtained at the following website www.worksafebc.com When you hear the following sound, that will mean you are moving on to the next learning task in this module. Describe personal safety practices, section one. Describe safety gear and work clothing. The most important concept to remember is that you are responsible for your own safety and the safety of others. Personal protective equipment, or PPE, is the last line of defense against personal injury. Using it properly and taking care of it are the first steps towards protecting yourself on the job. The best protective equipment is of no use to you unless you do the following four things. Number one, regularly inspect it. Number two, properly care for it. Number three, use it properly and receive training when it is needed. Number four, never alter or modify it in any way. The general areas that require your attention include personal apparel and personal protection. WorkSafe BC Regulations WorkSafe BC Regulations state that a worker is responsible for providing clothing needed for protection against the natural elements, general purpose work gloves, appropriate footwear, including safety footwear, and safety headgear. WorkSafe BC regulations state that the employer is responsible for providing, at no cost to the worker, all other items of personal protective equipment required by the regulations. WorkSafe BC PPE Information Sheets WorkSafe BC Personal Protective Equipment, or PPE, information sheets can be used to inform employers supervisors, and workers about PPE in general. These sheets are ideal for worker orientation and crew talks and for posting on bulletin boards. The sheets explain the PPE required by the regulations for specific industries and hazards, as well as describing when and how different types of PPE must be worn. Personal apparel. Workers are required to supply the appropriate safety footwear, and suitable clothing before being permitted to work in a shop or on a worksite.
there are a number of important safety considerations to be aware of for clothing, hair, and jewelry that are common to all job sites. Clothing. Workers must wear close-fitting clothing, that is, not ragged or frayed, if they are working near moving machinery. Scarves, ties, shirts, pants, cuffs, and gloves may become workplace hazards. For example, if your shirt cuff is loose, you risk getting it caught in a machine and injuring or breaking your arm if it is pulled around the shaft. Oily, greasy, and or synthetic clothes, example, rayon, nylon, or polyester, are of concern when working near sparks or open flames. As well as being fire hazards, oily or greasy clothes may cause skin irritation. Workers must use clothing to protect the body from as much dirt and as many chips and sparks as possible. Short pants, short sleeve shirts, and sandals are not considered adequate on most job sites. Pant legs should not be tucked inside boots when working with or near a torch, grinder, or chipper. Hot pieces of metal may fall inside a boot and cause a bad burn before the boot can be removed. Workers may also require flame-resistant clothing if they are working where they may be exposed to flash fires or similar hot work hazards. High-visibility apparel. Wear high-visibility clothing in a color that contrasts with the environment so you can be seen at a distance. Make sure your high-visibility clothing is not covered by other garments. You must wear it when working around any moving vehicles, equipment, or lines, working alone or in isolation, harvesting trees at night, performing traffic control in work areas where there is vehicle traffic moving through a work zone or for falling operations, or directing helicopter movements. Loose-fitting, high-visibility outer clothing must be tear-away if worn for work where it could be caught on moving equipment or on objects such as branches or limbs. Hair and beards. Workers with long hair should wear a cap or a hairnet. In addition, beards should be trimmed. Both hair and beards can get caught in machinery or catch fire from sparks or an open flame. Beards may also prevent respirators from fitting properly, which could result in the inhalation of hazardous materials. Jewelry. Workers must not wear rings, metal watch bands, bracelets, neck chains, or necklaces on a job site. Wearing these items can cause a bad burn if a metal object, for example, a watch band, touches a hot battery terminal or some other grounding object, a shock if workers on electrical equipment that has electrical power applied, loss of a finger if a ring gets caught in a piece of machinery. Special clothing and gear for various weather conditions. Since many trades have to work in poor weather, workers must have adequate rain gear and warm clothing. Keeping dry is very important for staying warm. When you're wet, you lose body heat faster. Some raincoats are designed with vents, which help draw off perspiration. The raincoat should be large enough to allow arms to move freely. The collar should have a cloth cover to protect the neck from the coat's cold, wet material. Rain pants keep the lower body dry. If you wear only a raincoat, water dripping off the coat will make your legs wet and uncomfortable. It's also important to keep your feet dry so they stay warm. Rubber boots with steel toe protectors and steel sole plates are available. To work safely in cold weather, it is important to wear properly insulated headgear, footwear, and gloves. Wear layered clothing, 
as layers allow warm air to stay trapped but do not trap perspiration next to the skin. The first layer of clothing should be a wicking fabric like polypropylene or knitted silk, which will allow the skin to breathe by allowing sweat to escape. The second layer of insulating clothing should be a fabric that absorbs perspiration but does not allow heat to escape. Wool is ideal because it keeps you warm even when wet. The final layer must be able to keep out water and wind. Personal protection. On the job site, workers need to wear special personal protective equipment. The equipment you wear will depend on the specific hazards you may expect to encounter. You may be supplied with all or some of the following equipment. Goggles, face shield, gloves, safety lock, hard hat, welder's apron, coveralls, respirator, hearing protection, high visibility vest, and Barney harness. Protective equipment can be divided into the following categories. Head protection, eye protection, hearing protection, respiratory protection, hand and skin protection, foot protection, and fall protection. Selecting PPE. All PPE clothing and equipment should feature a safe design and construction and should be well-maintained. Workers should consider the fit and comfort of PPE when selecting appropriate items for their workplace. Most protective devices are available in multiple sizes and care should be taken to select the proper size. If several different types of PPE are worn together, make sure they are all compatible. PPE that does not fit properly can make the difference between being safely covered or dangerously exposed. It may not provide the level of protection desired and may discourage use. Head protection. Hard hats protect workers where there is a hazard of hand injury from falling, flying, or thrown objects or other harmful contacts. The headband, made of webbing inside the hat, also known as a hard hat suspension system, provides a space between the shell and your head, which lessens the impact of anything falling on your head. The headband is adjustable. Most job sites require that hard hats be worn at all times while on the site. The shells of most hard hats are now almost always made from high-impact plastic, but a few are still made from metal alloys. Do not wear a metal alloy hard hat when working on electrical equipment. Hard hat types. The proper type or class of hard hat required will vary for specific areas or for specific jobs. Different hard hats protect against different types of hazards such as banging your head on a sharp or hard object, being hit by a falling object, receiving a shock when working near electrical apparatus. Hard hats must have either CSA or ANSI approved. These standards are similar but not exactly the same. Many manufacturers have their head protection tested to meet both standards. These standards are divided into two types. Type 1 for top protection only. Type 2 for top and lateral protection. Hard hats are also divided into three industrial classes. Class A hard hats provide impact and penetration resistance along with limited voltage protection up to 2,200 volts. Class B hard hats provide the highest level of protection against electrical hazards with high voltage shock and burn protection up to 20,000 volts. They also provide protection from impact and penetration hazards by flying or falling objects. Class C hard hats provide lightweight comfort and impact protection, but offer no protection from electrical hazards.
Another class of protective headgear on the market is called a bump hat, designed for use in areas with low head clearance. Bump hats are recommended for areas where protection is needed from head bumps and lacerations. They are not designed to protect against falling or flying objects. Periodic cleaning and inspection will extend the useful life of protective headgear. A daily inspection of the hard hat shell, suspension system, and other accessories for holes, cracks, tears, or other damage that might compromise the protective value of the hat is essential. Paints, paint thinners, and some cleaning agents can weaken the shells of hard hats and may eliminate electrical resistance. Consult the helmet manufacturer for information on the effects of paint and cleaning materials on their hard hats. Never drill holes, paint, or apply labels to protective headgear, as doing so may reduce the integrity of the headgear's materials. Do not store protective headgear in direct sunlight, such as on a rear window shelf of a car, since it can be damaged by sunlight and extreme heat. Hard hats with any of the following defects should not be used and should be replaced. Perforation, cracking, or deformity on the brim or shell. Any indication of exposure of the brim or shell to heat, chemicals, or ultraviolet light and other radiation, in addition to a loss of surface gloss. Such signs include chalking or flaking. Always replace a hard hat if it sustains an impact, even if damage is not noticeable. It is not necessary to replace the entire hard hat if just the suspension system is damaged. Suspension systems are available as replacement parts if they are damaged or show excessive wear. Some workers are more comfortable wearing their hard hats backwards. This still meets WorkSafe BC requirements if the hat suspension is also reversed. But if you can't reverse the suspension, you must not reverse the hard hat. Eye protection. Eye protection is one of the most important safety concerns of people on the job site. Eye hazards include splashes from liquids such as acids and caustics, sparks flying off of a grinder, dust kicked up by compressed air, flash from a welder working nearby, and exposure to laser pointer light. There are many types and styles of eye protection available. Some of the most common types include safety glasses, goggles, face shields, welding hammocks, and laser safety goggles. Safety glasses. These protective eyeglasses have safety frames constructed of metal or plastic and impact-resistant lenses. Side shields are available on some models. Wear specially designed and manufactured safety glasses to protect your eyes in activities such as working on any live electrical equipment, using cutting pliers to cut material, soldering or desoldering, using an electric hand drill, hammering, and working with tool steel. Goggles. Goggles are a type of tight-fitting eye protection that completely covers the eyes, eye sockets, and the facial area immediately surrounding the eyes. They provide protection from impact, dust, and splashes. Some goggles will fit over corrective lenses. Wear goggles to protect your eyes when doing activities such as drilling or chipping, hammering and working with steel, using a powder-actuated tool. Face shields. These transparent sheets of plastic extend from the eyebrows to below the chin and across the entire width of the head. Some are polarized for glare protection. Face shields protect against nuisance dust, 
and potential splashes or sprays of hazardous liquids, but they will not provide adequate protection against impact hazards. Face shields used in combination with goggles or safety glasses will provide additional protection against impact hazards. Wear a face shield to protect your face in activities such as using a grinder, using a drill press, using compressed air for cleaning. Welding helmets. Constructed of vulcanized fiber or fiberglass and fitted with a filtered lens, welding helmets protect eyes from burns caused by infrared or intense radiant light. They also protect both the eyes and face from flying sparks, metal spatter, and slag chips produced during welding, brazing, soldering, and cutting operations. Filtered lenses have a shade number appropriate to protect against the specific hazards of the work being performed and against harmful light radiation. Laser safety goggles. These specialty goggles protect against intense concentrations of light produced by lasers. The type of laser safety goggles a worker chooses will depend on the equipment and operating conditions in the workplace. Never assume that regular prescription glasses, sunglasses, or contact lenses can provide adequate eye protection. Dust particles, wood chips, sparks, or welding flash may still cause eye damage if eyes are not properly protected. Regardless of the job, whether grinding, chipping, drilling, or welding, always use adequate eye protection. Welding goggles or helmets are not acceptable for grinding. Choose a type or style of eye protection that will protect you in the job that you are doing. Example, goggles when chipping concrete, a welder's helmet when welding. Also, always use safety-approved eye protection. Improper or faulty protection devices can also be hazardous. Hearing protection. Noise on the job site can affect you in different ways. Being exposed to high noise levels and moderate noise levels over a long period of time can impair your ability to hear specific types of sounds. For example, the noise from diesel-powered vehicles, such as trucks, can permanently damage your hearing. High noise levels can affect your state of mind, making you easily annoyed, irritable, and mentally fatigued. You can decrease your ability to concentrate and stay alert. Hearing protection noise-reducing ratings, or NRR, are given in decibels, dB. If the noise level is 90 decibels and a worker is wearing expanded foam plugs rated at 29 dB, the actual noise exposure will be 90 minus 29 equals 71 decibels. When choosing hearing protection devices, you should choose a device that will reduce the noise exposure to a maximum of 85 decibels. There are four main points to remember when choosing hearing protection. Number one, choose a type or style of protection suitable to the job you are doing. Number two, earplugs should be pliable, fit each ear tightly, and be kept clean and free from damage. Number three, earmuffs make it easier to hear certain signals in noisy environments. Number four, headphones designed for listening to music do not offer suitable protection. Single-use earplugs. These earplugs are made from material like expandable PVC or urethane foam. They are self-forming and when properly inserted, they work as well as most molded earplugs. Pre-molded reusable earplugs. Pre-molded earplugs are made from biocompatible silicon, plastic, or rubber and are manufactured as either one size fits most or in several sizes to fit small, medium, or large ear canals. 
advantages of pre-molded plugs are that they are relatively inexpensive, reusable, washable, convenient to carry, and come in a variety of sizes. Custom-fitted hearing earplugs. Made from impressions taken of an individual's ear, custom-fitted earplugs completely fill the ear canal and match the ear shape of the wearer. Some custom-fitted plugs are designed to let the wearer hear conversations in noisy environments. Others have a communication speaker installed into them. Canal caps. Canal caps resemble earplugs on a flexible plastic or metal band. The earplug tips of the canal cap may be made of a formable or pre-molded material. These have the convenience of being easily removed and replaced as needed. Earmuffs. Earmuffs come in many models designed to fit most people, and some styles can be connected to a hard hat. They work by blocking out noise by completely covering the outer ear. To work properly, earmuffs must be perfectly sealed around the ears. Their effect may be reduced if glasses, facial hair, or long hair compromises the seal. Facial movements such as chewing may also affect the seal. Respiratory protection. Workers must be aware of any airborne hazards present on the job and must take the necessary precautions to protect the res respiratory system. Examples of hazards include airborne particles such as body filler, asbestos, or dust, as well as toxic gases or fumes. All of these are harmful if inhaled, but workers can protect themselves by wearing an approved respirator. If you are required to use a respirator, you will need the appropriate training to select, test, wear, and maintain this equipment. Always use the appropriate respirator for the hazard involved and the extent of nature of the work to be performed, which includes choosing the correct type of cartridge and filter. Respirators must be kept clean and sterilized according to the manufacturer's instructions. It is very important to check a respirator carefully for damage and proper fit. All respirators must be properly fitted to your face and the seal must be checked each time the respirator is used. There are three types of respirators commonly used for various atmosphere conditions in the workplace. These are airline or supplied air respirators, self-contained breathing apparatus, and air purifying respirators. Airline respirators. Airline or supplied air respirators have a mask or hood with a remote air supply available through a connected hose. This type of respirator is used when there is not enough oxygen or there are toxic gases or fumes in the air. Self-contained breathing apparatus or SCBA. An SCBA draws air from a compressed air cylinder which is strapped to the worker's back. This style of respirator is used when there is not enough oxygen on the worksite or there are toxic gases or fumes in the air. An SCBA has the added advantage of an independent air supply without any length of hose to be concerned with. This is the main reason why this type of respirator is more commonly used in rescue and emergency situations. Air purifying respirators. There are two common types of air purifying respirators. Dusk and mist masks, cartridge respirators. These type of respirators cannot be used in an oxygen deficient environment. The full face piece mask with a chemical canister can be used to protect against short exposure to dangerous gases or fumes, such as an emergency escape situation, as the cartridge in the respirator is able to neutralize the gases for a very short time only.
dust or mist masks. Dust masks are made of paper or soft, non-woven fiber and simply fit over the mouth and nose. These generally offer protection against nuisance dusts and fine mists only. Some models have a built-in exhaust valve for more comfort. Cartridge respirators. Cartridge respirators are commonly used in conditions where there are low concentrations of organic gases, pesticides, and paint vapors. These come in half-mask or full-face piece designs, but of these designs are also made in one or two cartridge styles. Do not use these types of respirators to protect against highly toxic gases. Hand and Skin Protection WorkSafe BC accident statistics indicate that over 30% of work injuries involve fingers, hands, and arms. Many of these accidents could be avoided by using appropriate hand protection. As a trades worker, you are ultimately responsible for ensuring that you use the correct hand protection for each hazardous situation. Gloves Gloves are manufactured from materials such as cotton, leather, rubber, metal, and other synthetics and are tailored to meet every need for hand protection in every trade area. Leather or vinyl coated gloves should be used when handling lumber or steel. Gauntlet type welded gloves should be used when welding or flame cutting. Special heat resistant gloves should be used when handling hot metal. Rubber or approved plastic treated gloves should be used when handling acids and cleaning solutions. Barrier creams. If you are exposed to chemicals that can strip oils from your skin, you are susceptible to developing dermatitis. Avoid this condition by using proper gloves along with a barrier cream if you notice your skin drying out. Foot protection. Your feet deserve as much consideration as your eyes, ears, or hands. Potential hazards to your feet include heavy objects falling on them, stepping on sharp objects, having hot sparks or slag fall inside your shoes. You must wear safety footwear appropriate to the job you are doing. For example, leather boots are required in the welding shop, where there are specific hazards from sparks and molten slag. Leather is not impervious to all chemicals, and therefore is not a good choice when walking in wet concrete. In that case, rubber boots with steel toe and sole protectors would be better. Footwear should be inspected regularly and replaced if worn out. CSA Standards Due to the dangers listed above, you must wear safety footwear that is CSA approved. Look for the green triangle with a CSA logo. Fall Protection One subset of personal protective equipment includes the various types of fall protection systems and their components. This category is covered in detail in Learning Task 2, Describe Fall Protection Systems. General Care of PPE Remember that PPE is the last line of defense against personal injury, so using it properly and taking care of it are very important. Be sure to do all of the following. Regularly inspect it. Properly care for it. Use properly when it is needed. Never alter or modify it in any way. Describe Personal Safety Practices, Section 2. Describe Fall Protection Systems. There are different methods of providing fall protection. 
a fall protection system is defined in the OHS regulation part 11 as a fall restraint system, a fall arrest system, work procedures that will minimize the risk of injury, such as using a safety net that are acceptable to WorkSafe BC. Fall restraint system. Fall restraint systems prevent a worker from falling from a work position or traveling to an unguarded edge from which the worker could fall. Examples are guardrails or a personal fall protection system. Fall arrest system. Fall arrest systems stop a worker's fall before the worker hits the surface below. Fall protection equipment. A worker's personal fall protection system will have different equipment depending on whether it is fall arrest or fall restraint system. It will include a safety belt or full body harness, a lanyard, lifeline, and any other connecting equipment that is used to secure the worker to an individual point of anchorage or to a horizontal lifeline system. Harnesses and belts. When using personal fall protection equipment, wear a full body harness. If you are at risk of falling, a full body harness consists of straps passed over the shoulders, across the chest, and around the legs. It also has a D-ring or support point at the rear between the shoulder blades. In a fall, a full body harness will protect you more than a safety belt because the harness distributes the force of impact over a greater area of your body. A belt should be used only as a part of a fall restraint system. It is important to adjust the harness to fit your body. A poorly fitting harness is uncomfortable and may not protect you. Connecting Equipment there are various types of equipment that can be used to connect the harness to the anchor point. Lanyard. A lanyard is a flexible line of webbing or a synthetic or wire rope used to secure a safety belt or full body harness to a lifeline or anchor. Deceleration device or shock absorber. A common method of reducing the impact strain on the body and the anchorage system is to use a deceleration device. These devices are designed to slowly allow a release of energy and absorb the initial shock. The device may be a spring or tear webbing design. It is important to know that this shock absorber may increase the length of the lanyard during a fall by as much as 1.2 meters or 4 feet, which must be allowed for in the design of your personal fall protection system. Lifeline. Lifelines can be vertical or horizontal and made of synthetic fiber or steel wire rope. A retractable lifeline is a special type of vertical lifeline. It is fastened to a horizontal lifeline unless the manufacturer allows alternate use. Vertical lifelines have a breaking point of 26.7 kilonewtons or 6,000 pounds. Horizontal lifelines can be permanent or temporary and are installed between two significant anchor points. Permanent horizontal lifelines are to be certified by a professional engineer. Temporary horizontal lifelines are permitted with certain restrictions. Temporary horizontal lifelines can be manufactured for commercial use, provided the use and installation are in accordance with the manufacturer's written instructions. They can be engineered and installed according to written instructions from a professional engineer. Alternatively, they can be installed with many restrictions. WorkSafe BC lists the following requirements. The horizontal lifeline is a minimum 12 millimeters or half an inch diameter wire rope 
having a braking strength specified by the manufacturer of at least 89 kilonewtons or 20,000 pounds. The horizontal lifeline is free of splices except at the terminations. Connecting hardware such as shackles and turnbuckles has the ultimate load capacity of at least 71 kilonewtons or 16,000 pounds. The span is at least 6 meters or 20 feet and not more than 18 meters or 60 feet. End anchors have an ultimate load capacity of at least 71 kilonewtons or 16,000 pounds. The horizontal lifeline has an unloaded sag of approximately the span length divided by 60. The elevation of the line at any point is at least 1 meters or 39 inches above the working surface. The free fall distance is limited to 1.2 meters or 4 feet. A minimum of 3.5 meters or 12 feet of unobstructed clearance is available below the working surface. No more than three workers are secured to the horizontal lifeline. The horizontal lifeline is positioned so it does not impede the safe movement of workers. Retractable lifelines work like the seatbelt in a car. These are under constant tension and the moment you fall, the lifeline locks. Rope grab. A rope grab is used to connect the lanyard to a vertical lifeline. The rope grab travels along the lifeline with you and will lock into it if you fall. Snap hook or carabiner. Snap hooks are used to connect lanyards to rope grabs, harnesses, and horizontal lifelines. Snap hooks must be self-locking so that the hook can't be opened unless you depress a separate locking mechanism before opening the keeper. A carabiner is an oblong-shaped connecting device also used to attach different components of a personal fall protection system. A carabiner should have gates that are both self-closing and self-locking with a breaking strength of at least 22 kilonewtons or 5,000 pounds. It should also have the manufacturer's identity and load capacity clearly marked on it. Inspection, storage, and maintenance. To maintain service life and performance, all fall protection equipment should be inspected frequently. Damage can include burns, hardening due to chemical contact, and excessive wear. The fall protection equipment must be inspected by a qualified person and replaced or recertified if any damage is found. Always store fall protection equipment in a dry location away from any substances that could cause deterioration. Describe personal safety practices, section three. Lift and move objects safely. Preventing lower back injury on the job is particularly important. You can keep your back healthy by paying attention to ergonomics, the relationship between you and your work environment, and the rules for safe lifting and carrying. The design of the human body is such that the back is especially susceptible to injury if it is not treated with respect. Know your own strengths and limitations. A high percentage of all workplace injuries involve the back. Basic precautions and lifting techniques are easy to learn and apply and greatly reduce the chances of serious back injury. General rules for lifting and moving objects. Always follow these rules even for lifting light objects. Place your feet apart for good balance. Bend your knees 
Hold the object as close to your body as possible. Lift smoothly and slowly. Pivot with your feet, don't twist your back. Push rather than pull the load. Share the load, work with a partner. Get mechanical assistance for heavy loads. Many of the objects you may have to lift and move can be heavy and awkward, including beams, planks, plywood, and panel products, ladders, and wheelbarrows. The following safe lifting procedures are recommended for most tasks. Feet. Your feet should be spaced apart, one slightly ahead of you and the other slightly behind in a normal standing position. Back. Your back should be straight, not bent. If your back is arched or twisted, you may injure yourself. Chin. Keep your chin in towards your chest. This will help you keep your back straight. Palm. Use a palm grip. Your fingers should be close together so that both the palm and fingers do, do the lifting. Your palm is more than twice as strong as your fingers. Body weight. Maintain your balance and distribute your weight evenly over both feet. Arms. Tuck your arms into your sides. This will allow you to carry more weight with less chance of injuring yourself than if you held one, the item away from your body. Procedures for lifting specific objects. Before moving anything, make sure your path is clear of obstacles and that there's space to put the object or material down. Depending how you have to move the object, your vision may be blocked on one side. Be sure you can see where you're going. Plywood. To pick up and carry a sheet of plywood, wear leather gloves and use this procedure. Number one, stand the plywood on its narrow edge in a vertical position. If the plywood is lying flat on the ground, go to one end and pick up the narrow edge. Then lift and walk toward the plywood until it is standing vertically on its narrow edge. This method requires you to lift only half the weight of the plywood from the ground. Number two, place your hands at the midpoints of the long edges of the plywood. Roll the sheets onto your right or left hand. The sheet should be balanced in the carrying hand. This avoids straining your back when you try to keep the sheet from dropping at one end. Number three, if your grip feels comfortable, put the sheet down on its narrow edge and take a new grip. If you lean the sheet of plywood into your shoulder, some of the weight will transfer from your hand. Figure one shows the correct way to hold and carry a large lightweight panel product. Always ask for help if you need it. For example, if there are obstacles to negotiate around, get someone to help you carry the sheet. In this situation, there should be one person at each end of the sheet. If it is windy, you may have difficulty carrying large sheets. So again, ask for help. Planks and beams. If they are not too heavy, planks and beams can be carried on your hip or shoulder. If the plank or beam is too heavy for you to carry, get help or use mechanical assistance, such as a hoist or forklift. The plank or beam should be up off the floor on blocking so that you can easily get your hands under it. To place blocking under the plank or beam, you may have to turn it on its edge or use a crowbar to lift it up. The following is the procedure for carrying a beam. Number one, bend down, keeping your back straight and your feet slightly apart, pointed in the direction that you want to move. 
Number two, place one hand on each side of the beam near the middle, one hand slightly forward and the other slightly behind. Number three, lift slightly to check the weight and the balance, then relocate your hands until you have the proper balance. Number four, stand up slowly, keeping your back straight and using your leg muscles. Number five, hold the plank or beam close to your body and let your hip carry some of the weight. If you want to carry the plank or beam on your shoulder, pick it up from one end and walk and lift it toward the other end until it is on your shoulder. With the beam on your shoulder, adjust the balances so that slightly more of the weight is behind than in front. This way you can pull the plank or beam down in front of you to keep your balance. Before you move a plank or beam, make sure that the way is clear and that there is space to place it. Both planks and beams should be put down on blocking if they are not put directly on in place in the building structure. Do not twist your back when moving heavy weights and use your feet to change direction of travel. Do not carry any more than you can comfortably handle and control at all times. If you are forced to drop your load or if you lose control of it, you risk injuring yourself or a coworker. Steel pipe and rebar. Steel pipe can be carried in the same manner as the beams or planks. If there is more than one pipe to carry at the same time, bundle and tie them together at each end and in the middle. If you try to carry more than one pipe at a time, you can easily lose control of them as they will want to go in different directions. Ladders. Extension ladders come in various lengths, and the longer the ladder, the heavier it is. Most trades workers should be able to handle a 5 meter or 16 foot ladder by themselves. Longer ladders should be handled by two people. A ladder is usually carried on the shoulder with one arm placed between the rails and the other hand used to balance it. The ladder should be picked up in the same manner as beams or planks. Do not drop a ladder or let it hit anything. You could crack the side rails and make the ladder unsafe for anyone to use. Wheelbarrows. One worker can carry a very heavy load, up to 300 kilograms, in a wheelbarrow. Before using a wheelbarrow, check to ensure that the wheel of the barrow is properly inflated and centered on its axle. When you use a wheelbarrow, always maintain your balance. Keep the bulk of the weight in a wheelbarrow towards its front for greater control and make sure it's not overfilled. When you turn a corner, tilt the barrel slightly in the direction of the turn, just as you would tilt a bicycle, not too sharply, or you may tip the load. When you go downhill, hold back the barrel to prevent losing control. In the construction industry, Wheelbarrows are primarily used to place concrete and gravel. They have a narrow spout to direct the concrete into the forms, and there is an extension of the handrails past the front wheel. This allows the barrow to be tipped and the contents dumped. Be sure to protect any surfaces that may break or chip from coming into direct contact with the handrail extensions when pouring. When you move a wheelbarrow, use the following technique. Number one. Bend your knees, keeping your back straight, your chin in, and your feet slightly apart. Number two, lift in a smooth motion and push the barrow in the direction you want to go, tilting the barrow to make the turns. Number three, when you take a wheelbarrow up a ramp and you need to help to move the barrow, only one person should do the pushing. The other should use a long hook on the front of the barrow to pull it up the ramp. 
If two people try to push the barrel, balance will be lost and the contents will spill. Shoveling. Shoveling may seem like a simple task that couldn't harm you, but if you shovel materials in the wrong manner, you may subject yourself to injury. There are basic rules for using a shovel comfortably and safely. Number one, keep your back as straight as possible. Number two, bend at the hips and keep your feet slightly apart with one ahead of the other. Number three, place yourself in a comfortable position and have a cleared area to work in. You will find that a long-handled shovel is easiest to work with. Not only will it provide more leverage, but it will not require you to bend very far. Number four, if you are right-handed, your left hand should grip the shovel just above the metal ferrule. And the right hand should be near the top of the shovel handle. Number five, slide or push the shovel into the material. Number six, drop the end of the shovel slightly to catch the material. Then draw the shovel toward you, allowing it to slide on the ground. Number seven, when the shovel is near you, you can then lift with your left hand and steady your right hand to move the material by tossing it off to the side or behind you. You can also use your knee for leverage to help lift up a shovel. The motion of using the shovel should feel comfortable without any strain. If the load on the shovel is too heavy, take smaller loads. Learn to pace yourself. If you start too vigorously, you will quickly tire and be unable to maintain a steady work pace. The best shoveling methods depend on the material to be moved. Drain rock or gravel should be picked up from the bottom edge of the pile rather than from the middle or top. Sand can be picked up from any part of the pile. Soil that has been dumped by a truck can be taken near the bottom of the pile. Soil that has to be dug out of the ground may have to be loosened with a pick or mattock before it can be easily picked up. Barrels and drums. Large barrels or drums are moved by rolling them on their rims. If a barrel is lying on its side, it must be placed in the upright position by using the following procedure. Number one, stand at the top end of the barrel and bend your legs, but keep your back straight so that you can get a good grip on each side of the rim near the bottom. Number two, lift the barrel toward the upright position and as it reaches the balance point, be ready to change your grip so that you can prevent the barrel from dropping on its end. If the barrel is full, you'll need the help of a second person or the use of a barrel dolly, which is designed to pick up and move barrels. Small pails, 20 to 25 liters or five to six gallons, used for paints, adhesives, coatings, and the like are quite heavy, so you need to be careful when moving them. Check that the handles are properly inserted into the holders at the sides of the containers. If the handle slips, the rim of the container could fall and land on your foot. To pick up a heavy container, bend your legs, keeping your back straight. Reach down and grip the handle, and then stand erect and carry the container to the desired location. To keep your balance, you may find it easier to carry two pails at the same time. Containers to be moved up to a scaffold platform should be raised with a rope and pulley system. They are usually too heavy to be pulled up by a rope only. Boxes. Many items come in heavy boxes or sacks. To pick up boxes from the floor or ground safely. Number one, bend your legs, keep your back straight and your feet apart. One foot slightly ahead and the other slightly behind. 
Number two, move close to the box. Place your left hand on the top left corner away from you and place your right hand on the lower right corner next to you. Number three, tilt the box away from you, keeping the weight of the box on the floor. Then tilt the box to judge its weight. Number four, using the palm grip, grasp the bottom edges of the box in figure three and use your leg muscles to stand up. Turn your feet in the direction you want to move. Number five, when carrying a heavy object, do not twist your back to change direction. The instructions for lowering the box are the reverse of the directions for lifting. If the box is too heavy, get someone to help you. If it is too heavy for two people to lift, use a mechanical lift, such as a forklift. Back maintenance. Strong, flexible muscles are essential to a healthy back. They support the spinal column and determine posture, which is the key to a healthy back. If your muscles are weak or tight, back injuries are more likely and recovery is more difficult. Exercise and your back. Stay fit by exercising regularly to maintain a proper balance of flexibility, strength, and endurance. If you are receiving professional back care, do only those exercises you have been instructed to perform. Stretching. Athletes warm up and do stretching exercises before practices and events to limber up the joints and get blood flowing to muscles. The same principles apply to lifting. By stretching and warming up, along with taking basic precautions and following proper lifting techniques, the chances of serious injury are greatly reduced.